Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. What's happening, people? Welcome to the brand new season of It's All Blackademic with myself, your host, Jordan Jarrett-Brian. Thank you very much for sticking with us uh, for three seasons now. We're, we're three seasons deep and we're very, very glad that you guys have continued watching and engaging in our content. If you're new to our platform, welcome. A couple of footnotes before we get into our first debate of the day. Um, we've got a website, brand new website, which is Bells, whistles, it's amazing. Go check it out. All our podcasts, all our content, videos, blogs, it's all on there, blackademic.com. All W's, blackademic.com. It's blackademic with no C's as well. We'll probably put a graphic on the screen here so that we can uh, really ram it into your head how we spell blackademic. And also, thank you very much, everyone that came down to our live show last week as well. We had a great turnout and two great debates. That content also is up on our website and across all of our socials on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay, so on the show this week, we're going to have a discussion to kick off the season um, with, with a discussion around the Netflix hit series, When They See Us. It's something that I think has really resonated with a lot of the black community, both here in the UK and, of course, over in the US as well. Um, and to do so, I've got three fantastic guests with me here today. I've got broadcaster here, Claire Clotty, one of our regulars. I've also got the author of Think Like a White Man, Nels Abbey, here too. And I'm also joined by a solicitor who specialises in criminal law here, uh, Hamza Asanu as well. Thanks for joining me on the, on the, on the show here today. Um, so, guys, let's get straight into it. Um, I can't think of another show or a programme that has resonated so much with me personally than when they see us. Can you guys, first of all, think of another series, programme, show that has really, you know, invoked the emotions that this series did? I'll start with you, Claire. Um... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Not a series. Um, I do remember 13, and that was um, another one of Ava's documentaries, mm. and that really hit me in my core. Um, but I can't think of a series. No. Nels, no. can you think of another... Anything on television? There's I think of things that there are some things that do that that impact in a similar way. So of course there was thirteenth. Um, there was um, the Khalif Browder story, which had a similar impact. Mm. Um, you could go back to the seventies when you're thinking of Roots, for example, which had a very similar impact. But it's all, it all the base of it or the core of it always seemed to be that telling our telling story, stories of us, telling our history, telling our truth, and really truly do really show how harsh life can actually be to us two black people within Western societies. Mm-hmm. Can you think of another show? For me, it's the same as an older person. I think Roots was the first one as a youngster, especially the first time something on television showing, as you said, the black experience, difficult experiences and being honest about what took place historically. Do you actually remember this case? Because you're a solicitor. Do you actually remember this case, what, 20 odd years ago? I remember it. Is it it more than 20 odd years? I think it was late 80s, perhaps. I was a youngster at the time. And it was on. It was big news here as well at the time, mm-hmm. because I remember the word wilding that came out of it. And I think it was one of those words, those sort of dog whistle words, almost, you know, like mugging, wilding, steaming, as it was in the old in the old days as well. Words that always applied to, especially young gangs of what they say, young black people committing criminal acts, and they put specific terms on it. What do you What do you remember from that time in that case when it when it was when it was live and very prevalent? At the I remember the, the time. general outrage amongst mainstream society. Everyone said, yeah, black kids going wild. Central Park isn't safe for white people anymore. It's black kids running rampage. And that was sort of the overriding headline from that. And while, you know, outside of the normal mainstream community, in the black community, we always suspect there was something not quite right about this case. At the time, we could never put our fingers on it. Indeed. Do you guys remember the case at all? You guys are a little bit older than me, I think. Oh, uh, stop <laughs> it. A little bit. Um, do you guys remember the case when it was live at the time? No, and I don't. Remember it no. Now? I, I, you? I remember the aftermath of it. So I remember it's like early 2000s, late 90s or so. It became a little bit of a... It, you would hear it in, in rap records here and there. But in terms of the 80s, when it was on and raging, I was far too young to really understand what's happening at the time. Yeah. Okay. When I watched this, I've watched it twice. Once initially, Claire, just to kind of, I watched it and I, I didn't know about this case, but when it happened, I was a little bit too young. I was, I was nine at the time, so I don't remember it. I watched it just as a viewer. And then when we decided, me and my production team, to do a show on this, I watched it a second time mm-hmm. for, with my work head on to kind of make notes and go through it again. But something that seems to come up from people that have, have seen the show is that it was a hard watch. That, that seems to be said by everyone that's watched it. It's a really difficult watch. Many people I know have said they are postponing watching it because they need to prepare themselves for it. Mm-hmm. Did, did you also find it a very difficult thing to watch? And did you need time to, a run-up time to kind of get to it before you actually ended up watching it? To be honest, I actually went straight in. And the reason why I went straight in, um, 
was because I love Ava mm-hmm. and um, I knew about the story, but I really wanted to understand what happened because I was too young to really understand what mm-hmm. happened when it happened. Um, I've watched the Khalif Browder, uh, Khalif Browder story and that hit me hard. But the difference for me with this is I could feel what a sister would feel. I could feel what a mother would feel. I could also see the dynamics that take place in the community. The black experience isn't one experience. I could see the family who were affluent. I could see the family who weren't as affluent, who had loads of conflict and you know poverty and things going on. And I could really feel everyone's story it wasn't just about these young men it was about how our community interacts and what happens when a crisis like this or a trauma like this happens in the community so and there was what did you, what was your what was the main emotion that you felt i mean i, I suppose anger would, 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 would be a given but that aside what was the the next main emotion that you felt when when watching this the series as you pointed out anger really did really did was at the top of my agenda, but also too, I felt immense sorrow mm. for the young men and their families and for everybody else too. Because it wasn't, it, I felt sorrow and also too, I felt a degree of fear because as much as we like to think that these things are in the past, mm. there's somebody who's going to be telling almost verbatim the exact same story in the future who could probably say the exact same thing or even worse mm. today. Eric Garner went through worse than what those guys actually did. He didn't see the other the other side of it, so he just, the chokehold, he was out. And we persistently see it, Philando Castile, even a Mark Duggan, for example. So we have these things, we have these experiences, we have these stories, and I often like, I don't, I, it's, I don't like to be comforted into, into a, I don't want to be lull myself into a false sense of security or comfort in believing that this is something that happened in the past and it's not happening today and I'm safe from it or my children are safe from it. I know that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Well, what's been the response, I was sick of emails, from any white people you know who have seen this, this series? Mm-hmm. Have, have, have they shared with you their thoughts on, whether they knew the case or not, have they shared their thoughts on what they took away from, from this series? So it's, it's, what, it's, it's a very good question because the first night I was watching, I was watching with a couple of white people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just like after dinner or so, we put it on, we just thought, let's see this, we've heard a lot about it or so. And I thought, yep, this is good. I reached one point where about halfway through the first episode, um, a friend of mine just got up and just said, I can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't, I, I, this is too much for me mm-hmm. right now. And it was quite literally, she was already in tears. That it had already been to a point where she just felt like this is something that's going to be too burdensome um, to, to see. So eventually she went away and watched it by herself and mm. we had a long conversation about it. And why I said in my last point about, hey, let's not allow ourselves into a false sense of security or comfort or celebratory, um, or celebrate the fact that it's in the past, that this is happening today. So I have seen white discussions. Or I have been in the midst of white people who are discussing it, people who are fairly liberal or um, actually fair-minded people. And... Their responses to it were similar to ours too. Were similar to what Claire mentioned and what you mentioned too. Was similar to how we feel about it. It's a sense of anger, fear, and also to reality of the fact that the person who really um, paid, put the bounty on them, Donald Trump, is now the most powerful man in the world too. Mm. So it's um, something we can't separate then from now because it would be naive to do so. Mm. Uh, Claire, when the Raheem Sterling, the England and Manchester City footballer, suffered racist abuse uh, at a game last season against Chelsea, I work in the football industry. There was a lot of white journalists and white media outraged that, well, where's this come from? This, this is, we thought this, this had gone. And that was a frustration for me and many of my black colleagues that this had never gone away. Do you think there's a similar sense with this that a lot of white people who, uh, you know, were emotionally um, affected by this, does it anger you that, 
many of them feel like, I didn't know this was going on. I thought that, you know, this wasn't the way it was. Does that, does that anger you at all? Um, I, I wouldn't say it angers me. I will say that some, you know, common sense isn't common. Mm. And it does surprise me. So I wouldn't say anger me, but it surprises me sometimes that people can't see what's in black and white. Mm-hmm. But I also think instead of dwelling on that, what can I do to to help alleviate that? And where you, you've, you've done an amazing thing watching it with white people. I think a lot of us as black people watch things in isolation and we deal with it in isolation. I think there's an opportunity to sit with our peers, our friends and watch it together and have that conversation. What are we going to do with it on our own? We're going to strategize alone, but we actually need to be strategizing together to a certain degree to make sure that you know, the conversation moves into action, purposeful action. Um, Hamza, one of the things that, that struck me watching this um, more than anything else was how easy it was for all of the, um, ju- the justice system, all the cops involved, how easy it was to plant this on these boys. What, in your experience, is, are the major flaws with the, the American judicial system and how far away in terms of better or worse, is the UK one in terms of how it treats black, black, black boys in particular? I'd say it's better in that it's not as severe. Mm-hmm. As much as anything else, that's the main difference. Apart from that, the punishments are less severe. There's no, de- there's no death penalty. That's fair enough. But I was watching it with lawyers. I was watching, well, speaking about it with some lawyers. And a lot of them, for a lot of them, it was an isolated case. What a shocking case it was. Mm-hmm. I remember having a discussion online with some lawyers on a lawyer's forum. And as far as one lawyer chimed in, in 40 years of working as a criminal justice lawyer, I've never seen racism in the system. And again, as you said, that came as a shock to me. You've never seen racism. I think for lots of lawyers, they miss out on the small microaggressions almost, or small micro parts of the system where from every stage, there's an element of racism. Statistically, you'll see that. Most lawyers will miss that and they'll say, no, things are fine here. It couldn't happen here. It's different here. We're different here. We're better here. And I think if there's that sense of, I suppose, people feel comfortable, mm. you know, they feel relaxed that this is different here. It's not that different. It's just at a different level, a different scale. That's all. From stop and search onwards, at every stage, you're finding different outcomes for different people. Worse for black people. Is, is, it, as, is it as as prevalent, would you say, in this country and our judicial system where the blatantness of trying to incriminate innocent black, black boys, we know, we know mm. to some degree it happens, but I, I still just can't get over how, how blatant and how easy it was in, in this series. Is it, as, is it a lot more subtle of how they, the bias towards black boys is in, in this country? I think the 80s were the same here as well. Okay. You can still get away with it. Put a bunch of black kids in the back of a van, beat them up, kick them out, and there'd be no comeback on that. I think here, as you said, the word's subtle now. You're seeing different results. You're seeing people being treated differently. It's subtle. When that lawyer said, after 40 years, I've never seen any racism, I had to think back and say, I probably haven't either. Not direct. No one's ever insulted a black person, called a black person a particular name, or done something that seemed on the face of it, motivated by, by race. So you're not seeing it overtly, but there's that, you know, yeah, it's, it's happening. Can I just point something out there? I remember in 2011 riots, there was one young man, but it, it, you're, the, you're a solicitor, so it probably remains on your mind more so than it does mine. But there was one young man who was put in the back of the police van, and he actually managed to switch on his telephone and record the conversation between him and the policeman. And the policeman actually said to him that the problem with you is that you'll always be an N-word. This was a British policeman, or police officer, so that you're an N-word and you'll always be an N-word. And it was very audible, very clear. Um, the actual audio, you can listen to it on the Guardian website till this very day. And um, yeah, the policeman officer was found not guilty. Yeah. And, um, and that was that. You see, I find that a lot with the assaults on police, especially, where police may use excessive force. And 
lots of lawyers don't challenge these cases or obstruction of police. Small cases, they're not, they're, it's not the biggest charge you'll ever face. But you'll find, we've seen on CCTV, an officer may use excessive force towards a black person and you'll get found not guilty. And the black person may well still be convicted of an assault on police. And I defend a lot of these cases. If I've got a specialism, it may well be that. And people will say, how can you defend these cases? It's clear he's obstructed it. The officer's given his word. He said what's happened. And they'll take it on face value. And I think that's part of the problem as well. Officers expect to be taken at face value. Therefore, they'll, they'll push the boundaries. They expect that no one's going to believe this kid. And there's those, those sort of code, code words that you see a lot of barristers use in Crown Court. He'll go down well with the jury. Quotation marks, he's their kind of person. They'll like this guy young, poor, black kid may not go down well with the jury. Mm. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, there's, there's things that are said and there's things that aren't said. Yeah. And um, in the pursuit of evidence for a case, I've found in my experience, I used to be a youth offending officer, some of the cases just dragged out and they were just, you know, minute, in my eyes, small offences. You should be able to gather the evidence if you haven't got it, throw the case out. But it dragged on and on. The, the, the child's education is affected. The, the parents' work is affected because they have to attend various meetings. Things get adjourned. And it just stretches out the process. And in the meantime, you've got a young man who's experiencing all of these inner emotions. They're, they're, they're isolated from their peers. They're not allowed to go to certain areas. And then they're found not guilty. But then they've got all of this trauma and then they, they behave in a way as if they were guilty and now yeah. it, it just has such a lasting impact and, I, and, and as I said it's, it's not what's said it's what's the action as well mm-hmm. the intention are we going to try and help this kid out we know he didn't really do it mm-hmm. let's make sure we get the evidence in and you know get rid of this case and it doesn't happen like that On a human level Claire we can all have empathy with you know what it would have or sympathy even what it would have been like to have been a relative of any of these boys involved yeah. but I, I, as a mum what did you think about how the, the, the parents' roles in, you know, from when the boys were taken? There was one mother that was very vociferous in, I want to see my son now, let me through, and she, she got through, yeah. And then there were... That there was were, me. Would, <laughs> would, would, would that have been you? Mom. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. What do you think about the parents that were a little bit less kind of uh, on the front foot of demanding, you need to free my child or let me at least see him? It, I, I think it's I'm, a, I'm not putting blame on this. No, crowd, of course not, but I think approaches. it's a, a massive learning opportunity for us to understand our rights, understand the systems. It's like, if you're playing any game, you know the rules to the yeah. game. And I think this, for me, reminded me, okay, you need to do a bit more research. You need to know where you stand. Yeah. Um, and that way you have the confidence... And, and you're able, even if you don't have the vocabulary, you can articulate yourself and you can just say, no, this can't happen. You don't have to explain it away. You know what your rights are. And just kind of building on the point that uh, Nels made earlier on about Trump, what does it say? I mean, we can have a discussion about Trump and, and what he stands for all day long. But what does it say that now the man who is the most powerful man on the planet was at the, to some degree at the centre of this because he took out a full page ad in the New York Times, I believe, asking for the death penalty to be brought back for these boys. What does that say about about America electing someone like that? Essentially, it shows that certain people, rich white people, will get away with things much more easily. I think that's the basic lesson you you can draw from this. You can make mistakes, and for some people, mistakes are punished more harshly. Mm. You know, if he'd been a young black man in 1989 making a similar mistake, yeah, he wouldn't be here now, he wouldn't be president. Mm. If Obama had done the same thing, he'd never have made it. I think there's something going on. There's two things that I take from, from, from Trump and the actual letter. Number one, Donald Trump is not where he is today, despite um, writing that letter and publishing in the New York Times, uh, calling, for their, calling for death penalty to brought back to them. He's there because of it, because that actually gave the signal of the certain type of person he was. And that comes from his lineage with his dad, who was also a racist, and amongst other things too. 
putting Donald Trump to the side, because we get a lot of, we've covered Donald Trump, everybody's covered Donald Trump to death. But the other element of it that has to be thought of is the New York Times actually accepted mm -hmm. the money mm -hmm. for the adverts and ran, and not just the New York Times, several newspapers did, accepted the money for the advert and ran it with no moral qualms, no thinking about, does this place these young people in a position where they're going to get a fair trial? Or does this actually put a fair trial in some degree of jeopardy? And I think also too, when we're speaking of, and I think the loud and clear part that came out of um, when they see us was the Trump element, but this more subtle part was the role that media played mm. within criminalizing these young men, mm. within actually making it seem that they were guilty before they were even found guilty. Mm. Um, so even if, and that's not something that's exclusive to America, it happens over here too. If you think of, again, if we go back to say, 2011, which is a real flashpoint for this society, which wasn't really given the actual air to breathe it should have. Mark Duggan is killed by the police. Immediately, press goes to work on him. And he didn't stand a chance of any degree of empathy or any degree of um, sympathy or any degree of actual fair assessment of what has actually happened over here, what are the lessons to be learned. It was just, he's a bad one, that's it. And off we go from there. And let's, let's so, look for the evidence to prove that. Yeah, to, yeah. to prove that, as yeah. opposed to actually find, let's look at this fairly or mm. so. So it's not, so Trump is very loud and clear. We know we're dealing with a demagogue and what is quite clearly, by any indication, a racist. But as far as media is concerned, too, I think media, us, those of us who work in media, much everything else, too, we need to look at our industries, too, and figure out that are we, are we essentially facilitating the Trumps or are we the Trumps in print or, in, or, in, or, on, or on audio and, and video, too, at the same time? There was a, uh, sorry, there's, there's well, so there, there was a similar process with Stephen Lawrence when he got stabbed. Yes, For the first couple of weeks, it was, let's get some dirt on this boy. Let's find out what he was really up to. I heard he's a bit of a wrong one. Let's do some digging. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, that was the first first response, not this is a tragic event. Let's see how bad he was. Yeah. And, and that, for me, was very powerful, again, in, in this series. It was, you know, kind of pertaining almost to the title, which I'll come to in a minute, but it was... Well, there's a crime being committed. There were some black boys in and around it. It must have been the black boys. Yeah. Let's just pin it on them and then we'll worry about proving it afterwards. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, Oprah Winfrey was very prominent in, in, in this production as well. But does anybody remember what her stance was back in 89 when this case kind of came about? Enlighten us. Well, she, she, she was very, let's, let's say, sympathetic to the idea that maybe these, these boys weren't innocent. So she's almost kind of, kind of come a little bit full circle. So is there a little bit of hypocrisy from, from Miss Winfrey on this as well? Because she's been at the forefront of pushing that these boys got justice and they got, they got wronged. But she wasn't, necessarily, she wasn't pushing that narrative back in 89. Okay, so here's the thing. I, I, I'm getting really sick of people holding um, or, or, or not allowing people to learn, grow, make mistakes. I, 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 we can't exist with not learning from our mistakes. So she may have come to a point where she realised, actually, you know what, now I've done more research, oh, I can see what it is. Yeah. But just because she hasn't gone on air and said, oh, now I've done more research, actually, I was wrong. People are like, right, you know, we, we can't, we can't um, value what you're, you're contributing to this. And, and, and I don't think that's fair. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair. I think it's a bit of a tough one because I, I often say to young people who I mentor and amongst other things or my young, ones, uh, my young ones, I often say to them, look, principles only mean something if I stand by them when it ceases to be convenient to do so. So if I can hold Donald Trump to a particular standard for taking a particular position and leveraging his power um, to actually pretty much uh, make, the room, make, the, make the corner of hell that those young boys were in at the time a little bit hotter, if Oprah Winfrey, and I don't know exactly what Oprah Winfrey said, but if Oprah Winfrey did the exact same thing, it's good to see that she's atoning for it today, which mm. Donald Trump did not yeah. do. So I think that's a clear difference. Mm -hmm. That look, if you've made a mistake, 
uh, it's good to see she's bringing them on a show. She's doing specials amongst other things or so. Um, it's good to say she's doing that. But uh, I mean, there's other things where I see other people in high, black people in society today when a black person's accused of things, the first thing they do is believe what they're accused of. And I think, again, I could mention people we've mentioned right now amongst uh, about other cases and they're doing the exact same thing. So again, it's a learning experience for all of us, but we have to grow and learn not to believe the worst of ourselves the moment we hear it. That's right. And, and I think the, the, the families, the five families, really illustrated that in the sense that Yusuf's mum was very um, standoffish with Corey's mum. She separated herself straight away, like, my kid's the good kid, your kid's the bad kid. And I think sometimes we do that as a community yeah. when they should look at it as, look, our five boys are innocent. From the get-go, they should have been, right, we are working together. There's strength in numbers. We're going to sort this out. Whereas they broke off into their little tribes. And, and I, I'm not a parent, but I totally agree that strength in numbers and this is not about any one individual black boy. But at the time, can you maybe understand why a parent would be like, my priority first and foremost is my son? Or do you think that you have to look past that and for the greater good? I can, but because I know so much about joint enterprise, okay. <laughs> I'm okay. like, no, yeah. we are doing this together. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think, so if you, if you look at it, so Claire, you know so much about joint enterprise. You're a solicitor. I'm an author and I do other things, so you're a journalist, everything else, that we've got a, a, a vast skill set around here. If something happened like this to say, forbid the thought, somebody in my family, I know I can call up the three of you yeah. and ask for these sorts of things. And we have to recognize too that us law as a community today are standing on the shoulders of experiences that those guys have gone through. Um, so we now know, we're seeing from them that, hey, this is what happened at the time. Here's how, here's how the game actually works. Here's how, how bad things actually get or so. Here's how you behave yourself. But 2020, I mean, hindsight's 2020. It's easy for us to say today that, look, they should have stuck together, they were forever. There was no blueprint on how those things are actually done, how those things are done. How do they, how do you play that game what, when you're going into it's resource poor minorities against the best and best and best of law degrees? How do you compete? What, what actually happens or so? So it's, it's a good thing. They've, they've, they've really, we're standing on their shoulders. They've really sacrificed themselves for us. And so I'm sure they're still struggling with PTSD till this very day. No, but um, and something for them, we, we owe them a debt of gratitude to everybody who's been through traumatic experiences that we can learn from and make ourselves stronger as a result. We'll come to the voice in just a moment. Um, the title, When They See Us, I'll ask all three of you, I'll start with you, Hamza. What does that mean to you? What, what do you take from, from that title? Why do you think they chose that title? Because I watched the, uh, the 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 Oprah show where they did she did with with the with the five men, and she she revealed that Ava um, was under pressure to title the series the the uh, what was it the Innocent Five or something like that. Nominated five, and they were like, no 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 no, that 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 doesn't work for us. What do you take from the title when they see us? I think it goes back to that going down well with the jury. When you see a defendant, what do you see? Mm -hmm. And you'll see certain people in a certain way. Mm -hmm. You see a young black boy, hoodie, for example, and you'll, you'll form a view almost in instantly. And jury members will, the police will, a magistrate will. If I'm applying for bail for a young black guy in a hoodie or a rich old guy in a suit, one's more likely to get bail. Mm -hmm. These are the facts. As far as I'm concerned, these are the facts. And I think that's the way it works. It's the, the judgments you make at the very start. And if you see a young black boy, the judge judgment you make will be a negative judgment. It's as simple as that. And do you think the perception of how they saw black boys 20 odd years ago is significantly different to how black boys are seen now? Oh, I wouldn't say significantly, no. No, no I mean, yeah. I, I, you still see it within the media, within, it's the police stats, it's still what, seven to one. If you're a black boy, you've got seven times more chance of being stopped and searched by the police. And let's, be, let's bear in mind, 80% of those searches are a waste of time. Nothing was found, there was no crime mm -hmm. committed, you were doing it for nothing. So you're stopping seven, 
seven times the amount of black boys for no good reason, effectively. Mm -hmm. And you're doing that and getting away with it. You know, you're, they're compiling stats every year. We know how bad the stats are. There's a reason for this. If you say it's racism, no, they'll all deny it. Lawyers will deny it. Your client wasn't stopped because he was black. It's for some other reason. He looks suspicious. Sus laws went out in the 80s, mm -hmm. but they're still using them. Well, just to push back on that a little bit, 20, 20 years on from then, mm. is it not fair to say that we have now more black people in, in senior roles in business, in politics, in law? Is that perception the same as it was then? Or do you think it's, it's, it's a little bit better and the perceptions are better of black boys now because we now have more black people in senior roles across society and business? My fear is there still seems exceptions. There's still an overriding picture, this is what it is to be black. And the rest of it, hasn't he done well for himself? Doesn't he speak so well? Oh, look, we're educated. He's the one. Yeah, it's as simple as that. In my view, it's as simple as that. I don't think anyone who's successful in black is, that's just a normal thing. It's an exception, mm -hmm. it's something amazing. Yourself, you guys, what do you think of the, of the title? What did you make of, of that title? So it's what you said. So again, when they see us, who is they, who is us? And I think to some degree, the they there also applies to us, for example, how we see ourselves. And um, us is clearly, we're talking about black people in this situation or so. So uh, um, it's the system. It's, um, it's, of course, it's white people to a certain degree too. It's the social order. And then when you go inside. So I think it was a very, very, if I was in the room and we're looking for the title that came to me, I probably would have said, nah, I don't think that's the right title. But then I would have been kicking myself six months down the line and said that actually you had the right title mm -hmm. to begin with or so, that I was the idiot in the room. Um, I think it's so powerful. It's a lot more, but the Exonerated Vibe is a brilliant title, but when they see us, it's, it's a statement title that what happens when the world actually looks at us or so, what happens when you go into, as you point out, when you go into the system and you have to find your way, you're looking at the judge, you're looking at the jury, and they're looking back at you and you're wondering what do they see when they see us? when they see me and you know exactly what's going through their mind and you then see the fruits of it in the program. I think it's a brilliant title. And there was so many more us's. There yeah. was, you know, the pastor's role in, you know, trying to help save the day. There was, you know, the individuals in the community. It was us. Yeah. This yeah. is our child, our friend's son, our next door neighbour. This is how this impacts us, yeah. not just... And then I thought it was amazing. Um, Corey, the, the 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 boy that went to the um, his 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 role in this series, I think, was the most pertinent because one, he wasn't even supposed to be there. He wasn't even meant to be there. Um, and 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 he, I saw the interview he did with Oprah on on her show where he talks about he didn't see it as the five of us. He says he saw it as four plus one yeah. because he was the one that was separated from the others. Now they were all in horrible places. Yeah. But he says, at least they were together. Those four were together. What did you take from, from, from his journey? Not only being separated, but being in, in, in the prison that he was in, which was at Rikers? It was Rikers yeah. Which is, yeah. is known as one of the most brutal yeah. prisons in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Corey's situation broke me. It's episode four, I was in absolute bits for many reasons. Um, one, he clearly had a learning difficulty. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting when you see someone or a black person who seems to have a mental health issue or some kind of disability, their tr the treatment of them is so different. The superstition from the community, you yeah. know, that exists, and then the treatment once they get into an institution. Uh, the way they coerced him, um, his experience in prison, for me, he was a very attractive young boy. The way the other inmates treated him didn't surprise me. He was smaller, so it was easy to pick on him. Um, 
solitary confinement, what that does to anyone. But I just thought, oh my gosh, this is a black man who's got learning difficulties, who's now going to have severe mental health mm-hmm. issues. He's not his his family are the least affluent from what I could see. Yeah. Um, there were other things going on, you know that. His situation absolutely broke me. And even seeing him on the panel with Oprah, not being able to... Uh, it, it, his, his was powerful because he said less. You know, yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know, less is yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. And I could just feel him yeah. and feel his energy. And I don't think anything can make things right for mm-hmm. him. Uh, Nils, what did you make of the father of... Um, oh, goodness, yeah. yeah. Anton. Mm. Yeah, yeah. His his character, his him not character, the, the the man intrigued me as well because he was the one at first was like just so say you've got to say so we can get you out of here. Was that because do you think that he he had that approach because he knew we need let's get out of here, say we got to get out of here and we'll deal with the repercussions afterwards, or do you think in hindsight it was better that they kept their their stance that no we haven't done this crime, keep him in there and then what subsequently happened afterwards. His approach to how, what his son did and said, did you agree with it? Okay. I did not, sorry, so I'm, so I'm reminded. So you're catching so, up on, yeah, so yeah, yeah, just catching yeah, up. Yeah. So his dad was the one was the, was the one who actually was played by Omar on the wire, essentially. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I know who he's playing. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, forgive me, brothers. No, um, no, so yeah, no. so what it is, um, I think that was a dad who didn't know the system. I think that was a dad who didn't know exactly what he was, his, him and his children were up against in slightest bit. I think that's a dad who was almost like many people who come from working class backgrounds, who go into the system probably, and you hear these terms, just trust the system. Um, and, and I often say to people, the trust in the system has failed us far too many times for us to trust it. So I, I just, I looked at the dad, of course, the dad lived with the regret to the moment he died, or so he just didn't know what he was doing. He was too- I disagree. Um, Do you know why I disagree? I think he thought he knew the game because yeah. he'd been in the system. So he was trying to outsmart it. He was thinking, right, I know how this can go. Yeah. So I'm going to say, I, I genuinely feel like he wanted to save his son. He thought, listen, it's going to be this for you. So let's try and play their game with my background experience yeah. and we'll outsmart them. Trying to negotiate it. It blew yeah. up in his face. Yeah. I think yeah. you find that sometimes where people who, like you said, no trust, their starting point is no trust. This is going to go wrong, whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Let's try and minimize the damage. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, and that's the unfortunate thing. You see it even, even to this day, adults and all appropriate adults at police stations, mm-hmm. let's get out of here. Because that's your priority. Get out of here, work out the rest later. It's going to go badly. Mm-hmm. You're going to get convicted. Don't believe in any of this. Let's just get out just of here. So at least you're out of here for tonight. You can go home and have some dinner and we'll deal with a guilty plea at court. And I, and I think that that's something that exists in the culture. We've got those who want to toe the line. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing wrong with lawyers and doctors, but those, <laughs> there's a mentality, look, get this kind of job, do this kind of education, and you'll be all right in life. Yeah. Yeah. When we know that's not true. Yeah. And then there's the, rebel, uh, the rebellious crew who are like, listen, do whatever you want to do. But I think that still exists, and we, st- we need to get the balance right. It's not, you're going to get this job and you're going to be okay. I think this system tempers that. You know, to be a lawyer, you've got to be to a degree of conformist. There's no getting away from that. Mm. You can't sit there and be a rebel. You're not going to get qualified. You're not going to get a training contract. You're not going to get pupillage. Don't be that rebel right now. And at a certain point, 40 years on, like, what have I done? I just told the line for no good reason. Yeah, I've changed nothing. The lead prosecutor, Elizabeth Ladera, um, she has subsequently lost her role um, teaching at Columbus University, Mm. but she hasn't lost her, uh, I I believe, um, her ability to, to practice law still as far as I'm aware, is that the epitome of white privilege? That even with, the, with this coming out and the, the, the case being, being, being reversed, 
she can still, okay, she lost her job, mm. but that's all she's lost. Yeah, I'm not sure if it is white privilege. I, it's the nature of being a prosecutor. Your job's yeah. to prosecute, my job's to defend. My job's to get somebody off, their job's to get something to go down. That's the unfortunate thing, the system's adversarial. Either you win or you lose. And if you're the prosecutor, your job isn't to sit there and think about the intricacies. Your job is to think, how do I win this case? How do I get my conviction? But isn't the difference though, that you can lose a case, but once it's subsequently proven, that you were using foul practices to try and win that case, is that not a slight difference or does it not really matter in that, in that sense? I think the system is designed to do that. Okay. I think it's unfortunate, that's what it is. There's no, let's find out the truth, let's get to the, what really happened. It's about winning and losing. Okay. You do everything possible to do that. No, I think, you know, you know your career um, a lot better than I can say, but I, I, I just want to question, I think, you, I think you've already answered it. Prosecuting in bad faith, mm. someone that you know is likely to be, is more than likely, overwhelmingly likely to be innocent, and then you can then go ahead and... Pro- I, suppose it's I think it goes back to lawyer's conundrum. Yeah. I, yeah, I often job. get asked, how do you defend people who you know are yeah. guilty? Yeah. And my job is to defend people. There was a That's gentleman, what I do. Uh, but don't want to distract me, there was a gentleman <laughs> yeah. who came out a couple of um, years ago. That, uh, there was a guy, again, African-American man, um, who was um, pretty much dying uh, of cancer at the time. And then the man who... And he was a guy who did pretty much spent all of his life in prison. And he just got the, the lawyer, who pro- the prosecutor, who prosecuted him, who was at the time in his early 20s, he just came out and said, look, um, what has really happened over here is I was young, I was ambitious, I wanted to go somewhere, I was willing to say anything I wanted to say in order to get, to get the prosecution or so, and I did so, and he was prosecuted. Really and truly, on the, ban- on the balance of probability amongst other things, or so common sense, he's actually an innocent man. And then, um, but so the guy's released, and he's then taken to hospital, and then, but the prosecutor asked him for forgiveness, and said, can you please forgive me for what I did to you? And thankfully, the guy, the brother who was dying, said, I cannot forgive you. I've just got to wrap up. Yeah. Um, just finally, is it just as simple now as saying that we need a more fair, representative and diverse judicial system to ensure that these sorts of crimes don't happen again? I don't see why diversity should be the issue. Yeah. Either you do, you do right or you do wrong. Yeah. And that shouldn't come down to the diversity within it. Yeah. Yeah. Just need more good people. Yeah, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And what's your final takeaway from, from, from the series? What, did you, what would you take away from it? Um, I would say that um, as a community, we shouldn't discriminate against each other um, based on class or you know, position in the community or family dynamic. I would also say that we need to learn um, what our rights are um, and we need to have conversations with those who don't look like us um, on a regular basis and not an isolated you know, reflection upon situations like this, just in every day. A mayor of London did a study and it's, it's revealed that 35% of Londoners um, only hang around with people who look like them, who are from the same community of them. That's 35%, that's massive. So we need to shift that. Uh, guys, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on, got my teeth in. It's all black academic. Um, check out our website and also our socials. We're across Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Until next week, peace. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 